Hello. Hey, Jared. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thanks. All right. I've been uh, I've been wanting to meet you for a while. You've been on my radar. We've been connected on LinkedIn, uh, liking each yeah. other's posts. Definitely. Yeah. Same here. I mean, like I've been watching everything, following you since since the start. I mean, just going through all these uh, providers for 3D printing, and it's been nice. It's been nice an um, archive of history of what's going on and how things are moving forward. So, kudos to you for a great job. Thank you. And thanks for coming on today. So the main reason I wanted to have you on the podcast was because of your work trying to create a construction code, an international construction code with the group JG80 mm -hmm. to implement 3D printing in construction and have a system where people understand how it's supposed to be done on a job site and maybe, uh, maybe setting a framework for people to continue exploring with these new technologies. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, and just a little bit of background. I mean, I, I've been working in the construction sector for about 15 years, GCs uh, and uh, North Africa. Um, and we embarked on a 3D printing project um, back in 2018 in Saudi Arabia with the Ministry of Housing. We had subcontracted the 3D printing um, initiative to um, a contractor, a technology provider, Saibe, at the time. Um, and basically, we were responsible for the engineering, we were responsible for all the general GC responsibilities and such, but also as soon as we got the, 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 um, the design for the house that was supposed to be printed, there were some issues that came out. And basically, the structural elements and, and how we're going to certify the structure and, and where are the columns and where are the beams and are the low walls load bearing and so on. And, and we, we, as soon as the design came into play, we had to retrofit the design so that it looks more conventional. So we had to put in the, the columns, we had to put in the beams just for reinforcement so that the roof can stand, even though the elements in the walls could actually hold maybe four or five times uh, the weight of, of a conventional uh, structure, mm -hmm. but still because of lack of standards and lack of ways to actually do a one-to-one -one comparison, um, it was difficult, so we just had to opt it, even though it was unnecessary, we still had to opt for the rebars and the columns and so on. So, um, and that that happened with the first um, iteration of, of the building. Um, there were supposed to be other projects with the Ministry of Housing in Saudi Arabia, but that didn't come through due to financial reasons. But then as, as we started tendering for different projects in Dubai, um, mainly with um, the transportation authorities and for the uh, water and electrical authorities in Dubai, again, these the standards and, and the issue of uh, standards that you're following and the certification of these structures came into play. Mm -hmm. um, I have since moved, uh, to, uh, left the company um, and moved to Toronto area beginning of last year. And, and this issue of standards kept on bugging me because uh, you're seeing all this advancement in technology and 3D printing and construction. Um, there's a lot of interest now growing, but it's like there's, everybody's rushing to, to just hit a wall um, and you just stop at, at some point because either you're doing one-offs, but you cannot go scale and you cannot go commercial because of the lack of standards. So um, I asked around, I started off beginning last year asking around if anybody had an initiative going on. Um, nobody had anything uh, uh, solid in terms of uh, putting an infrastructure together. So um, I said, okay, well, let's start it. I mean, like um, I reached out to Tufsud at the time and they told me, look, they've been thinking about doing something like this, but they, they need support from the market. And I said, okay, just leave that to me. And, I'll, and I, mm -hmm. I got in touch with everybody and everybody I knew at the time. 
Um, and, and there was a lot of interest. I mean, many people are facing the same issues. I mean, the, the people are printing bridges, houses, uh, formwork, uh, infrastructure, and structural elements, and, and they're always running into this issue of, uh, of standards um, and certifying the structures. And, and it was an, opti um, an optimum time to actually get everybody together and say, look, uh, at some point, you guys are going to compete with each other in this market, but at least they have to come together in order to define the standards. And we were able to do that. So we got the attention of ISO ASTM um, as of the beginning of uh, this year. So March 25th, we had our first meeting, and that's how Joint Group 80 create, uh, was created. Um, hopefully, we we're going to fast track this process so that it doesn't take five to or five years to get this thing done, but and hopefully, we're optimistic enough that we can think that we can have something by the summer of next year. And so they're eager and ready to work with you and implement uh, some of these standards? Yeah, and basically what we're looking at is uh, we're looking at the, the structure uh, or the quality of the, this, the end structure or, or, or the end product. We're not mm -hmm. necessarily looking um, at specifically getting into material specifics or solution specific. Um, and, and of course, in the 3D printing market, there are many solutions. You have gantries, robotic arms, uh, telescopic arms, and so on. And everybody's using different materials as well. So we're trying to encompass as much or as many providers as possible uh, for the existing market and for the market that's to come. So, um, and you have the GCs who are also very interested, especially here in North America. It hasn't been so, um, uh, fast pace uh, 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 as of the past, but uh, as of this last year and the past few months, I mean, there's a bit of a great interest in, in 3D printing in North America. Yeah, there have been quite a few catalysts this year mm -hmm. uh, between COVID, lumber prices, all these different things intertwined. People are becoming more and more interested in alternative construction solutions. Yeah, and basically when, when COVID came into play and you have social distancing, you have a shrinking labor market, uh, uh, the, the, the consciousness of, of material sustainability, eco-friendliness and all that kind of, that also plays, 3D printing plays a good part of that. And the way I try to explain it to the GGC is that 3D printing is not supposed to replace your workforce, it's supposed to help the workforce. Um, it's safer, um, it, you get more productive, um, you're saving on material, uh, you're being safe on the environment, and now, especially now with COVID and, and uh, the social distancing type thing, you, you can have the 3D printer help your labor force actually uh, print structures and, and instead of doing form work and, and traditional means of going uh, through the process. Mm -hmm. I spoke with your colleague Sophia uh, for a while on the phone and I got the same idea or general concept of your group that I'm getting from you now is that your goal is to speed up the use of this technology rather than create regulations that will prevent it. So right now there's no framework. So when people go to do projects like this, especially in the traditional construction world, nobody has any idea what's going on. They don't understand yeah. how to treat it. And so by defining it clearly, you give people a better chance of being able to integrate it into traditional projects or convince traditionally traditional thinking people who are used to the way things have used to be done that this new technology has a place in the new construction world. Exactly. And, and the biggest thing is for people to actually experience it. I mean, you have to feel it, you have to touch it, you have to see it, you have to see the, the reality of it. It's not some science fiction type uh, solution. It's, it's a real solution that's there. And, and sometimes people, people are, or some GCs are very hesitant or in actually applying this technology because it's total, completely alien to them. They, they, they cannot relate to it. So mm. trying to, to put the standards behind it, so to speak, is also 
having um, like ISO and ASTM, which are, are world-renowned uh, authorities and standards. And when you go to a GC and you have ISO and ASTM behind you, and this is an ISO ASTM entity or document that's coming out and as a standard, then then that takes, a, I mean, you're, you're 70% of the battle is already gone. I mean, you just have to uh, associate um, uh, the, the the standards that you're developing with with the end product that, that you have um, uh, or are presenting, but also in the sense that we're not reinventing the wheel in that sense. I mean, there are standards, ACM, uh, ASTM and ISO standards and, and building codes that you have to abide by, um, and those will be listed in the standard that we're developing. So it's not completely alien. We're just trying to sort of um, make it an easy read and so you can navigate your, well, your, your way through actually certifying uh, 3D printed structures. Mm -hmm. So how will a contractor using a printer interact with the regulations that are going to be set forward by JG80? What will their uh, relationship be there? Yeah, and basically what JGAD or the standard that we're developing is, is sort of like defining the standard or defining the means of how you are setting up your shop, how you're doing your printing, how you're managing your material, your pre-processing, post-processing, your, your design, um, not necessarily the architectural certification of the 3D model, but let's say after the architect has certified your 3D model, then you get the, the BIM model or 3D model, and then we, we translate it into robotic code in order to do the print. So, all the architecture aspects of, of certifying is uh, outside the scope, but we deal from the printing process. So you get the 3D model, um, you, you set up your material, how are you storing up your material, the type of staff that you're going to have um, running the, 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 uh, the process. Also, we're dealing, for example, your, your uh, like I said, processing, uh, production, and then post-processing. What it takes, for example, if you're doing printing concrete, what are the certif cert uh, specific um, ASTM or ANSI or, or, uh, or ISO standards that apply to concrete structures if they're load-bearing, certain tests that you have to go through. Uh, if you're using other materials, then other uh, specifications will be listed. So in that sense, it's, it's kind of like, like a checklist of what you need to uh, go through. But also we're trying to handle on-site printing and off-site printing. So let's say if, if you have a BAM facility where they do their um, printing in-house in their 3D printing factory in the Netherlands, and then they ship the elements to, to the construction site or other mobile solutions like TAM, for example, uh, takes hazard mobile solutions where you actually go on-site and start doing the printing. So the same standards apply to both scenarios and situations. So in that sense, it's sort of like the stand, our standard is, is sort of like um, a nucleus of a spider web. And then depending on the material and approach that you go through, you could just follow it up to, to the specific one. Uh, so the first section of the document of the standard is an easy read. It's probably no more than 30 pages. The appendices and the bibliographies and, and so on will be like 300 plus pages because it's gonna list all the standards that would apply to specific solutions and specific uh, materials. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of variance in even just the material flow, whether it's going into a mixer pump or it's going into a bigger hopper before going into the pump, uh, different types of yep. pumps people are using. Yeah, and then some people are doing layer on top of layer, some people are doing shot creeds, some people are doing different solutions as well. So, I mean, like we have to look at the different, some people are not even uh, using uh, uh, with material like fast uh, fast robotics is part of this committee as well and they just lay bricks so i mean like we have to accommodate the different situations and and uh, um, uh, entities that that are, are out there
Yeah, that was one of my questions. Is fast brick robotics included in uh, this regulation system? Yeah, um, if, if I may, I'll be able to share my screen and, and show you if that's possible. Okay, you can see my screen? Yes. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, just from a high level point of view, John uh, Grabati, this is basically what it is. We're looking at the quality of end product, like I said before. Um, we're looking at the quality of structural and infrastructure elements, um, and we're looking irrespective and, and irrespective of the uh, material and the approach that you're using. So uh, this is supposed to cover existing market solutions and uh, more market solutions that are supposed to be coming. And when you look at, at the people that are involved, um, you have every like anybody and everybody different solutions um, uh, out there. Um, Fastrick Robotics is in there. Uh, 3D Vinci, V6, Concreative. Hyperion Robotics out of Finland, um, Icon, um, Changemaker 3D in the UK. So the list is huge. And if you look at the list and, and you know the background of these, and you know that there's a lot of solutions out there, um, each using a different approach, each using a different material, each focusing on a, a different segment in their market. Um, so, um, and for example, like Mighty Buildings, they are using compound materials. So they're not even using, for example, cementitious based uh, materials for that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to incorporate as much as possible. So, um, and, and what's interesting enough, okay, Cobalt International is, is growing. And then, like I said, like in the, in the US, uh, they're actually picking up. So you have uh, printed farms, as you know, um, uh, Perry USA is probably doing something now with a Cobalt printer in, in Houston, Texas, um, uh, as far as a recent read. So that's picking up as well. And, and it, it's picking up globally as well. So Cobalt has far reaches in India, Malaysia, Malawi, uh, different areas uh, that are doing uh, structures so and in in the back of these technology providers so to speak you have the gc's so b6 3d is based uh, out of a, a major gc uh, concreative is frisen a so and then you have dpr from our side and then bam internationals is also a, a large contractor uh, in based out of the netherlands so you have the interest coming in so they're like passive uh, behind the scenes type view um, uh, parties that are interested in this initiative to see how things are moving forward. So once the standards come on, then everybody tries to use these solutions uh, moving forward as, as, a, as a tool, like I said, in the construction sector to, to actually optimize performance uh, for the projects. Have you talked to Tavasta in India? They just uh, announced their house or inaugurated it or something. Yeah, um, um, I've been in touch with so many different uh, groups and, and properties in, in the sector. So, uh, and also them, like if they're based out of COVID solutions, and the, so then it, it's COVID is covering that sort of the umbrella of the different solutions that are out there. So, um, uh, like I said, uh, Camp C, uh, Perry, uh, 3D Vinci, uh, Printed Farms, and so on, all of it are using COVID printers and COVID solutions. So, uh, COVID is like the umbrella that, that covers everything, so to speak, in that sense. Is there any relationship between Mighty Buildings UL certified material and the JG80 group? Uh, we're trying to, well, the thing is that, for example, like um, um, Mighty Buildings did the UL sort of is working on something with the UL. Um, also AC509 um, in that sense, also Black Buffalo is trying to actually upgrade the AC509 standards so that they apply to two-story buildings. So that's something that they're working on. And, and what we're trying to do with that to be like a, a one-stop shop for, for, the, for the certification process without having to go to different branches in that sense. Will, I know you're trying to create a system that's like open-minded and makes it simple for people to innovate and come up with new solutions. 
do you think that the regulations will be malleable enough to be permanent or will they need consistent oversight? Uh, nothing is permanent when it comes to standards, especially with material being developed and new solutions being developed. Uh, for example, the, the company in Siberia um, is actually developing a, a 3D printer called Goliath, um, uh, and, and they're trying to, to print 3D uh, two or three story buildings. So uh, the technology is changing all the time, the materials are changing all the time, the approach is changing all the time. So nothing is going to be solid that, that once the standard comes into play, then, then that's fixed. It's going to be something that's going to have different iterations uh, moving forward. So I expect that this standard will develop uh, with time. But if we have a version that, uh, that's out there and the GCs can actually apply and use, then that's something that we can actually uh, move forward with. And it will be a major step in actually accepting the technology as a different tool in the construction site to actually do the printing. So JG80 will need uh, continuous oversight as the years progress. Absolutely. And as we get into the ISO ASTM, then the, the standard will also be exposed to the different work groups within ISO and ASTM. So you have the construction group that's going to have some say into this. You have the materials group that's going to have some say into this and also the additive manufacturing group uh, will have say into this. QAQC, safety. So all these different groups within the ISO ASTM certification bodies will have a say into the standard. So anything that comes into play uh, with that will actually um, uh, lead to, to a change in different uh, standards. What's the time frame you see these standards being implemented? Like I say, I mean, like we're trying to do uh, optimi uh, optimistic uh, uh, one year type turnover um, to actually have the standards issued and published and translated into the several languages that they get translated to. Uh, that's the that's the goal um so we'll, I'm, I'm trying to push for that and stay, stick with that normally standards usually take anywhere from three to five years when you're talking about ISO and ASM. Mm -hmm. but we're trying to fast track it to move forward um so to as much as we can on our side we already have a draft uh, we have our second um, ISO meeting coming up this thursday march uh, 6 sorry may 6 um, and that will be where the draft actually goes out for voting and commentary to the various uh, entities within ISO and ASTM for uh, initial comments and feedback. So once we get that, we will try to do a turnover uh, for the comments that were raised um, and then actually maybe go for a second round of voting. So as soon as we go through uh, the, the traditional processes, there's a certain way that things flow within ISO and ASTM, certain timeframes, so we have to abide by those. Uh, but as much as we can do on our side to speed things up, uh, we're trying to do that. I always imagined with such a significant innovation, there would be people trying to stand in the way uh, that didn't want change. It's, it's not, well, uh, construction in itself is not exactly an easy uh, uh, sector to actually change. Um, uh, the company I used to work for is a 70-year-old traditional privately owned company, um, CCC. Uh, it was based out of Athens with, with major, like I said, major projects in, in the UAE and, and Middle East and North Africa and all globally as well. But again, changing again to them to, 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 to actually 3D print a house was, was it took time. Um, and, and basically you have to know how to approach uh, the company, how to explain the technology and not that in an abrasive way that here, okay, you guys are, are doing things the old way and here's the new stuff. So it, it takes a lot of buy-in, it takes a lot of um, uh, sort of uh, doing a one-to-one -one comparison, 
and once you do that then then and they see the benefits of it and again like i say you you feel it and you touch it and you see it and you realize the benefits of it um, and then it becomes uh, just like anything else uh, another tool in the construction site mm -hmm. so but i also like from from iso astm standards they have their own rules and own ways of doing their things but again we have to abide by that and accommodate those those uh, um, uh, ways of doing business so to speak and, and the traditional means of, of moving forward um, and and we try to find some kind of a, a working relationship that we can actually uh, make this happen so everybody's happy in the end so to speak how are those regulations ultimately enforced um usually the way we do it in, in construction when when you are iso certified you get audited by iso on a on a recurring basis so you have to make sure that you're abiding you take the standard and then you have to make sure that you're actually following these uh, standards uh, or these regulations that are issued by iso in order to maintain the iso certification you have to pass the audit that goes on every every uh few, uh on a periodic uh time frame if you don't pass the audit then you have to you're given a, a time where you can actually amend but if you do uh if you don't amend then you lose the iso seal and certification so that iso seal and certification that you see on, on company websites and, and documentation is actually earned uh, and kept so you you get audited on a regular basis it's not that you just get the standard and you move forward um, and that that's it you have to maintain the quality that the standard actually issues and that's how iso actually maintains its credibility uh the same thing with ASTM as well Mm -hmm. And is that a, a necessary for doing business if somebody loses their ISO certification? Absolutely, uh, especially on the general contractor side. If you have ISO certification, again, when you have a, a strong body like ISO ASTM behind you, and you come as a, a subcontractor or a technology provider to a general contractor, that 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 pushes away a lot of the uh, initial questions and hesitation that you might have because you're already certified by by ISO and ASTM. So that makes it easier for you to actually get in the door um, mm -hmm. and then it's just uh, checking off the boxes um, as to uh, specific questions that the general contractor or this, the um, the client will have at the time mm -hmm. so sometimes in your tender documents being ISO certified and, and so on is a prerequisite for actually anybody getting in the door so you have to provide that kind of certification what about smaller prints like a smaller machine that is doing concrete objects for furniture mm -hmm. or something like that do the regulations yeah. apply there? No, not necessarily. Only because, like, when you have urban furniture and let's say uh, security bullets, uh, for example, uh, or some kind of uh, uh, non-structural or non-critical uh, type elements, um, it does, you don't need the certification for that. Uh, again, most of the material is like four or five times stronger um, than the conventional concrete. Um, so, and and the nice thing about three D printing is that you like you like you know with parametric design and generative design, you can get different. Uh, design uh, instead of uh, um, variations so instead of having a square or rectangular type shape you can actually have something very nice within a few minutes uh, so uh, the the standards not necessarily apply to to the um, non-structural or non-critical elements but for critical elements and structural that's that's where where things are moving forward especially now uh, for example for example Sangoban in Netherlands actually printed uh, a house uh, and got uh, published in the last few days uh, so things like that where the housing is, is coming into play um, and according to the united nations uh, study uh, by um, 2050, 2050 i think it was that the world population is supposed to grow to almost 10 billion um, and in order to accommodate the the housing for this population growth uh, people are expecting that um, 
or predicting that um, a city the size of Paris needs to be built every week for the next 40 years. Wow. So uh, when you talk about that magnitude and, and that kind of, uh, those kind of numbers, um, that's where 3D printing really comes into play and, and can help um, um, people actually address that need that's, that's anticipated to come. Yeah, I've heard many rumors about material improvements that are on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, they say something can be added to regular concrete mix that's less than 0.1 the weight percentage of the concrete and make any typical concrete mix printable. Have you heard of yep. something like this? Yeah, and I mean, you have very you have material suppliers uh, uh, that are actually looking and doing their research on this. Uh, Lafarge Holson is one, Latacreek is another, Sika is doing studies, and then you have these individual smaller technology groups that are actually focusing on that. So the materials is constantly changing, um, and everybody is using a different uh, uh, speed and uh, extrusion speed and different way of mixing their materials. Um, so it, it, it's, it goes without saying that the material, some people are using actually fiber um, uh, in order to reinforce the printing instead of putting an embedded steel uh, concrete like BAM is doing or Sangobana is, is using with their structures. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are different type of mixes coming out there. Uh, the, um, but again, when you put in fiber, it, it, the, the material becomes very thick. So then you have to have concerns about the pump and, and the printing head. Uh, and also using self-healing concrete, for example, if it cracks, that it it it, uh, it fixes itself. Um, so again, it's things that are, are moving forward. Um, more eco-friendly type cement, if that uh, if that's a, a proper phrase. But the material is always changing. The technology is always changing. And uh, recently, there was uh, something I shared on on LinkedIn where. Uh, and, uh, a gentleman just used sand and sunlight to print. So just, just taking the sunbeam and focusing it on sand and you get a, a glass structure. So the, 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 um, there is no limit as to the solutions that you can provide in order to, to get something like this. Yeah, that was a 2017 project, right? Yeah, uh, 2011, I think it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a long time ago. Long time ago, <laughs> yes. Too bad there's no 3D printed uh, sand glass buildings over there yet. No, I mean, it's something that he did on, on a research project, just, just, and he went out to the middle of the desert and I think it was Egypt or Morocco and uh, just a very simple solution, uh, focusing light on sand and uh, the heat melted the sand and he got a, a semi glass structure. So no zero uh, carbon footprint, the um, very accessible solution and uh, it could be applied to construction as well. So the the material solution um, that could just be a little bit added to a regular concrete mix, what material do you think that is? Graphene? A bit, that all depends on the solution. It depends on the climate, it depends on the solution, it depends on availability of the, the material, uh, but also the, the what we're trying to focus on, I mean, it makes no sense to actually print uh, a structure if you have to import the material. So wherever you're doing the print, uh, wherever it makes sense, uh, based on your local material, that's, that's what you are supposed to be printing. Uh, it's one thing when you have to import the machine and that, okay, that's, that's a given sometimes, it's not available in the continent or the country that you're printing, but uh, it is a, a definite requirement that you're using local materials. So whatever uh, solutions, uh, additives, uh, um, uh, adhesives that are being used to, to, to actually um, print uh, have to be sourced and made uh, uh, available locally. 
it seems to be like without some kind of material innovation or improvement, it, it'll be tricky to implement this technology on a wide scale because of the material cost. Yeah, but again, when you're talking about material cost and you're talking about the, the printing, if you're doing printing for one solution, uh, let's say I'm printing one house, mm -hmm. it, it's definitely not cost effective whether you're talking about uh, one uh, the robotic arm or the material. If you're printing on a scale of, let's say, 100 plus houses or you're printing on 200 uh, houses, then the, you can offset the cost of the material and the solution uh, spread across the 200 houses that you're printing so that the, the price is not just sitting on, on one or two, three houses. Um, and that's where, where things come into play. Um, like I said, but again, what's stopping people from actually doing these 100 prints and, and printing them, not printing, for example, mass scale in the US for 100 plus houses are the standards and the regulations. So once that comes into play, then people can just like, okay, go commercial. And then it, the cost will come down when it comes to printing. And, and that enables speed up for research and material, uh, looking for alternative means, uh, uh, exploring different solutions out there. So. Uh, things like that. I mean, the standards would just like be a, would be like the stepping stone or the foundation for moving forward, and then everybody could just go have have a field day uh, uh, with with research and implementations and different solutions. Yeah, I agree. I think the standards make it more investable uh, yeah. when people see that there's some kind of regulation. They're less afraid that regulation could like ruin it uh, when they understand the regulation. Definitely, and then when you have a competitive market, just by just by by existing competitive market, that's where people start competing in terms of price. Uh, so different providers will start competing on the price range, and then the price will start going down just to be competitive in the market as well. And this is what, this is just typical uh, marketing and economics and and uh, business uh, model. So when you have one or two that are actually providing it, then then it's it becomes very difficult and very pricey. But when you have almost a hundred or or plus people providing that solution, that's where the price goes down. And then it adds the competitiveness of the material, uh, adds to the competitiveness of the, of the solution, and also the, the, uh, the end product that you're actually delivering, be it yeah. on Earth or space-wise and, and so on. So it, it just, it's just a boost for everything to move forward. That's kind of why I was asking about the, uh, the material that they would add, like whether it's graphene or not. If, uh, if it's graphene, that's kind of cost prohibitive for the time being. Maybe producing graphene will get cheaper, um, mm -hmm. but the batch size that they need, there's so many different use cases for graphene that it's not going to be improved just because there's bigger 3D printed concrete batch sizes. There's a million other reasons they want to make it cheaper. Uh, yeah. Other materials could be different, but I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, will those economies of scale be immediately evident can you just buy a hundred times as much of the special material and the cost goes down? Or is it a material that's in rare supply where it doesn't matter how many you order to the same price, like gold is the same price for an ounce or a thousand ounces. Um, yeah, the, the thing with, with material, it, it's a very tricky thing. So I mean, like if you're using something that you can actually, that's readily available in the market without having to go on special type, type, um, type uh, materials, then that, that's an easy sell. Um, if you have to like bring in a, a special like um, um, uh, tailored or specially uh, genetically uh, sort of like a, um, developed material that has to be put in place, that's where people get hesitant because then, okay, what, what is this new material coming into place? So 
it, it depends on, 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 the, on the situation, like I said, geography, availability, uh, uh, the type of material, but also the buy-in that you kind of get. You don't want to go too far out, out there in terms of material, but you want to make it like something that, that people can actually be familiar with and moving forward. Because it, the, the more conventional type materials that you're using, the more uh, conventional approaches you're using, the, the, the easier it is for buy-in, at, at least from the initial stages, mm -hmm. once people get used to it, and then you can actually go, go with that. So. It all depends. But again, uh, it, it, it could be that, okay, people accept um, uh, unconventional materials or, or, and then move forward, or it could be um, that they would rather stick with normal, like most of the prints now are cement-based materials. Um, uh, so that's what they're comfortable with. And then once we can pass stage one, then we can go to the uh, other materials. Mm -hmm. And other people use fly ash. Yep. Kind of limited supply material and, and fly ash has been around for 50 plus years it's not something new that's been used so i mean like fly ash uh, in concrete uh, has been used uh, for decades and, and and people can relate to that so uh, uh, in that sense but but new things for example bendable concrete uh, is still under study uh, there's i think one company in japan that's actually printing using bendable concrete so that you can actually bend the structures and that's just for uh, seismic uh, uh, related uh, incidents, uh, but also using fibers again uh, as part of the reinforcement instead of putting rebar and, and steel. So um, th there's different various materials that are being addressed and studied and looked at, so. Yeah, my understanding with the fibers is unless they're in tension when the concrete is curing, then they're not preventing cracks, they're just helping hold it together yep. after a crack. Yep, exactly, yeah. But it's again, when you're putting fiber, when you're putting fiber, you have to be careful because then your pumping pressure has to be harder because the material is thicker coming out. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and those things have to be considered as well. If there were no improvements in material ever again of printed concrete, would the industry survive? I think yes, it will survive uh, only because of the cost effectiveness that you would see, uh, that you will see the producti productivity the less material that you will use, I mean, with 3D printing, instead of printing with four tons of material, you can actually print with two tons of material. Um, um, and, and, and it's more effective, less waste. So just the eco and the pricing, um, eco-friendliness, the, the carbon footprint, uh, the productivity, the speed, um, those speak for themselves, even if you're using just the, the conventional uh, materials. When people start developing more solutions and moving forward with their uh, systems, uh, the material just advances as, as part of the, uh, the process. So yeah. uh, technology and printing uh, moves forward. Yeah. So you're from the traditional construction world. How long ago and how was it that you first got introduced to printed concrete? Um, we started off, uh, well, the, the company wanted, we were looking at uh, innovative technologies for um, in construction. So we, we were, like I said, a 70 plus year old company that was doing things traditionally. And, and uh, we, we started looking at innovative technologies and we were looking at drones, we were looking at IoT, we were looking at uh, um, using sound waves uh, to actually predict uh, maintenance on, on hardware uh, and machinery. We had a huge fleet of, of construction equipment that, that, that needed to be maintained. So we're looking at different solutions to actually do business better and mm -hmm. do things more effectively. And 3D printing was one of those. So we started off um, around um, early on, uh, but it started picking up momentum around 2010. 
um, uh, into looking at technologies and uh, they finally made a decision and were able to actually uh, pitch for an uh, actual project in 2018 for the Ministry of Housing. Um, so we were looking at, but at also you have to, at the time uh, before that, anywhere before 2010 and, and, and years after that, you just had to make sure there was a lot of buzz out of 3D printing. So you just had to make sure that what, what the, you have to double check the facts. You ask yeah. the right questions. Um, are you really providing what your, the, the news brief says? Um, is this real or is it just hype? Um, so we had to um, uh, sort of like do the homework um, and, and I was in charge of that to actually address and fact check everything in that sense. Also talking to the different technology providers, see who is a better fit for this particular solution that we're looking at. So in that sense, it, 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 it was uh, sort of like fact checking in, in a sense, but also finding the, the, the right provider for the right solution uh, to, to get the, the print product. And, and as we were doing this the first time, we only had sort of like one chance because if you don't make an impression the first time over, then, then you lost their attention and, and it, it's gonna be harder to convince uh, management and, and people that be who are actually giving you an ear to, to listen that, that, okay, if you screw it up the first time, you're not gonna get a good chance to try to do it again. So we had one chance to do it and we were able to do it and uh, we were successful in that. So a lot of pressure was, was on that initial uh, step moving forward. What printing company did you decide to work with in 2010? Uh, well, 2018, actually, when we printed the house, it was uh, Saibay. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. So we had, I think it was 24 elements uh, for the walls that we actually printed. Um, and it was relatively, um, we did that relatively quick. It was almost in, in a week's time, uh, less than a week, that we were actually print, able to print all that. Were there any companies that you reached out to back in 2010? Yeah, I mean, there, there were many. Um, Icon, when it first started, Apiscore, um, Contra Crafting with uh, Dr. Krishnevis, um, uh, and, and uh, so there were many companies that we were going out for. And Apiscore at the time had just printed their house in Europe, in Russia, so to speak. So that was a lot of hype around that. Um, and then people were claiming that they were printing two-story houses and were printing concrete horizontal structures. And, and just, you just had to filter through all that in order to get to, okay, who are the real players in this market? And COVID was starting off in the time and then established relationships with 3D Vinci and, and 3D Vinci printed the house in Amar. So we were all like, for example, when I say we were looking for this specific uh, provider for a specific solution, uh, when we were bidding for um, uh, in Dubai for several projects, we were bidding with us as a JC, for example, for the Ministry of Transport in Dubai, we were bidding with uh, BAM Infra for concrete, MX2D for the metal, and the local company Immensa for the plastics. So it was like, a, and then for another project for DWA, which is Water Authority, we were bidding with Saibay. So it depends on which project and which specific uh, solution you had. And we picked, and, and the nice, and the way that our approach for that is that we didn't have a, an R&D solution per se. So we didn't buy the technology, we didn't buy the material. And our approach was, okay, people out there are already doing the solution already have the material and the know-how and, and the, and the skill set. So we subcontract out that work uh, to, and we hired the technology providers as a subcontractor. And that's a relationship that I think, I think actually works um, and is an opening door for other general contractors not, not to think that they have to invest so much money into buying a um, 3D printing solution, but you can actually create a relationship and always be on top 
um, of the skill set that's out there by just doing a subcontracting work and creating a collaborative relationship with different technology providers. Yeah, there's a lot of people that want to hire 3D printing subcontractors right now, but there's so few printers around and they're only in certain areas. So they might be in Tennessee or Oklahoma, uh, yeah. but there's no printers in Tennessee or Oklahoma yet. So it's hard for them to find a, a subcontractor, whereas I guess you've established these relationships. So you're able to contact them and get quotes for jobs like that. Most people can't. Yeah. And 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 this is where I come into play. I mean, like I, I provide consulting and advisory in 3D printing and major many people, different institutions, different authorities and different general contractors want to get into 3D printing, but don't know how to approach it. Um, and that's that's where I come in and, and I can help uh, address that with everybody to to show them the best solution to understand their needs. Uh, 3D printing is not supposed to come in just for a showcase and just be a flashy thing in, in the construction site. It's supposed to actually resolve a real-time uh, problem or issue or, or need or pain that, that a general contractor is facing. So um, we try to identify that need and we try, I try to uh, uh, or help them actually use the right solution that actually addresses that need um, in the um, best way possible. And I'm sure sometimes you have to tell them it might not be the best solution for the job. Um, yeah, I mean, like when, when you just, uh, it doesn't make any sense uh, to actually uh, get a, a million dollar printer just to print benches. Um, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, like if you're just printing for the sake of printing and you have money to throw away, which I don't think anybody has at this point, uh, then yes, you can have a fancy robot that actually does that. But again, if, if you're just printing, uh, 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 urban furniture or small uh, uh, items for indoor decorations and stuff like that, you can find, you can actually subcontract that out and have it shipped to the location as opposed to buying a printer and actually doing that. I'm eager for the day where the printers are in abundance and people can easily rent time on one to print or just get quick projects done. Yep. And, and, and things like that. I mean, like, Anything's possible when it comes to 3D printing. Again, once the market starts hitting, then you have different variations uh, of things. I mean, like we, we went from steam engines to, to, to combustible engines to, to uh, now electric uh, cars. So uh, it, it's, it's going to speed up and, and things change uh, uh, very quickly. I mean, if you look at the phone, the, the, the mobile phone, we started with Nokia and now we're in iPhones. And, and, and the difference is only like in less than 10 years or 10 years plus. So uh, I think when 3D printing, and there's a lot going on in the background, but once you have an opportunity where people can actually do things commercially and, and in real time solutions, that's where the, the, the advancement and evolution actually speeds up because people are testing it in real life. They can go back to drawing boards if you need to fix anything or they can find better ways to actually do that. But in order to actually be exposed to, to the, the commercial and, and the magnitude of, of 3D printing and construction, that opens up the doors to research, to possibilities, fixes, optimizing products and optimizing solutions and thinking of new ways of doing it. So is this project now consuming 100% of your time? Uh, mostly, yeah, but I'm still open to other opportunities. So I'm still talking to other people in terms of helping them, like I said, in, in the advisory to, to, to help them out. But yes, it, it, it's, there's nothing sexy about the standards, but uh, it's something that needs to be done. And, and so, um, somebody's got to do it. So to speak. absolutely. So, so uh, it's not uh, a printed robot that, that you can actually touch and feel or, or a, a nice design that comes out of it. It's, it's just a document that comes out of it. But, but again, the document is a foundation for everything else moving forward. So 
you seem like the right guy for the job. My only fear would be that one day you're not responsible for JG80 anymore and somebody else who has different intentions wants to use the regulations for different purposes. Yeah, well, I'm not doing this for any commercial or benefit. I mean, like this is on my own time. Uh, there's no, um, nobody's paying me to do this and nobody's actually, um, I, I started this on my own um, just by calling people up on my own time. Um, uh, I wasn't expecting the kind of response. I, I actually didn't know what to expect because I'm calling people up and then talking about standards and, and I was expecting everybody to just brush me off and it's like, okay, yeah, well, whatever. They know it's needed. They know it's needed. It's an important thing. Everybody jumped on and it's encouraging to see everybody involved and people continue to get involved. Uh, so, uh, and there's a lot of interest from different organizations. Um, but again, um, I'm sticking with this, uh, but it, it's not something I will let fail. Uh, so uh, we're going to get this done. Seems great. Um, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Oh, one more thing. The, I should have brought this up earlier. Do the regulations have anything to say about cold joint concrete or like st print stopping and resuming a print? Yes, that's, that's all part of the production process. So when you stop and, and, and start a cold print again, like what, what you need to do, like an adhesive layer or anything like that, the special, the special processes that go on for uh, pre-processing, processing, and post-processing, all those will be addressed. And then, uh, like I said, based on the material that you're using, if you're using compound materials, if you're using earth-based materials, adobe materials, or concrete or cement-based materials, each standard will each, you will have a set of standards that will be listed addressing each type of material and solution. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, we're trying to address that as much as possible. But again, trying to reference existing documentation, um, not necessarily recreating everything from scratch um, or reinventing the wheel that way. Mm -hmm. And from an architectural perspective, uh, structural engineering is not your primary concern. So the rebar placement and that stuff is left up to the architects and engineers. Correct. We're trying to make the standard as, as, as less... Uh, complicated as possible. Uh, so all the architectural elements have to be addressed by the architect offsite. So like it, it, it's out of our scope. Um, if anything changes in the 3D model, because like if you're trying to go print and you, somebody changes the 3D model to something else, then it still has to go through the architectural certification. So we try to not we say, okay, give me the final drawing, have it certified by the, by the architect, and then we can print without the guy printing, making any changes to the design itself. So. We're trying to eliminate that step um, and just assume that once we get the 3D model, it's actually certified and accepted and approved by a, a licensed architect. So does that get us closer to architects recognizing 3D printed concrete as structural elements? Yeah, I mean, like if you look at the, the, the print that uh, Saint-Gobain did or uh, Weber BMX um, in Netherlands, I mean, they, they had low bearing walls, according to, to, to the news briefs. So, um, yes, why not? I mean, if, if you're doing, instead of having rebar placements or having formwork printed and then filling it with rebar and, and conventional concrete, maybe you get the, the print that you do um, with the honeycomb type style or, or anything that the pattern that you're printing uh, would actually hold the wall. And, and again, the tests will actually prove that. But uh, we're not far away from, if we were able, the tests that we were able to do initially in 2018 proved that the material was actually four times stronger than conventional and it was able to hold the, the load of a roof and subsequent floors, then uh, I don't see it being an issue at all. Plus, with BIM design and, and 3D modeling and everything like that, which is the basis of every design these days, um, it just, it's just uh, it, it's a natural progression moving forward. So the testing standards, you test 
less than the full building. So you don't have to build an entire building and then destroy it. You can test sections or? Yeah, well, we can test sections at now. Um, later on, when, when uh, things become cheaper and more, uh, uh, or sort of like more, more economically uh, set, then yes, you can actually print the house and then test it and do loads on it. Uh, certain prints that been, have been done already, for example, Schuylkill in, in the Czech Republic has been able to actually um, uh, test their structure to actually hold 50 tons worth of weight. Uh, so, I mean, that, and that's for a one-story building. So, um, th th that's, that's, that says a lot right there. Holding 50 tons in compression. Yep. What else should we cover? Um, that's pretty much it from my side, but I mean, like, if there's anything else that you want to uh, talk about, I'll be more than happy. Um, it's just growing. I mean, like, the, the, the nice thing about it is that, I mean, um, in the U.S. itself, like I said, in North America, things, things are moving forward. Um, in, just in the last few months, uh, you have 3D printing companies, two of them in Utah area, uh, you have many of them that are actually uh, coming up in the East Coast, um, uh, Texas, uh, Midwest, uh, and so on. So, I mean, like, it, it is actually picking up. And just the fact that COVID is actually now um, in uh, printed farms and, and with uh, Perry uh, US, uh, and you have these big international companies and, and big companies that are actually pushing this through. So, uh, the acceptance is going to be quick and, and adoption is going to be quick as well. That sounds good. Yep. All right. Well, I think we should uh, certainly do another podcast like this somewhere down the line, whether it's uh, six months from now, a year from now, uh, when the little more progress has happened with those regulations, have more to talk about. Uh, I think it'll be really great to keep everybody, my audience, updated with what you're working on and where yeah. the progress you're making is going. Yeah, I look forward to it and be more happy to do it. So uh, as soon as there is an update or some major change, uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me and uh, nice talking to you, Jared. Nice to meet you finally. Nice talking to you as well. Have a good day. You too. Take care.